0: Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. We live in a weary world. Life is a struggle. And everyday events seem to have changed in such a way that we are challenged in order to, to meet them. Eating places have closed. Parades have been canceled. Parties are controlled so that you can only have so many people gathering in one place at a certain time. I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. My brother, in announcing the wonderful event that his son had passed the bar exam, said it this way. As if 2020 couldn't get any worse, we now have an attorney in our family. We live in a weary world. But I want to remind you that our living situation, our environment is is not unique. There have been others who have been under the same kind of pressure. Pressure. In fact, as we go back to Luke's Gospel, we discover that God's children were living under the domination of Rome. And it was tiring and it was weary. Now I want to remind you this morning a little bit about your biblical history. In Genesis chapter 12... God calls a man named Abraham who lived in the Ur of the Chaldees to go into a land which he would be shown and God would make of him a great and mighty nation. Abraham and Sarah left where they lived and they followed God's directive, but they were without child. God gave them two children, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac was the son of promise. God continued to work through Isaac's life, and God continued to fulfill his promise, and God gave to Isaac two children, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the son of promise. Jacob had 12 sons. The second to the last was named Joseph. And you remember the narrative where Jacob loved Joseph and gave to him a coat of many colors. This was not a popular decision among his siblings. And one day when Joseph was out visiting his siblings, giving greetings from dad, they took him and they threw him in a pit and eventually sold him into slavery in Egypt. Now that too was God's plan, because there was a famine in Canaan, and Jacob and his whole family ended up in Goshen in Egypt that was a place of plenty. But as they arrived in Egypt, they placed themselves under the direct authority of Pharaoh. And for the next 430 years, Israel lived under that authority, certainly a wearying environment. Exodus chapter one begins and there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. and the people were put under the domi- denomination the, de- the domination of Pharaoh and, and had to make bricks and subsist in a very meager way. they cried out to the Lord and God sent Moses, who was reared in Pharaoh's court, to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Pharaoh said no, but God convinced him through ten plagues, the last of which was the taking of the firstborn of every household that had not applied the blood. After that, four hundred and 30 years under the control and authority of Egypt Moses led the people out of Egypt toward the promised land by the way I will remind you that they left with many of the riches of Egypt God blessed And God in a very special way took care of his people and spies were sent to the land and they came back and reported that it was indeed a land of milk and honey and a great land but there were giants in the land. Joshua and Caleb said, doesn't matter, our God's bigger than giants. Giants. But the people listened to the ten, and God required them to wander for 40 years in the wilderness until that generation had passed. And then Joshua, because of a sin of Moses, took them into the promised land across the Jordan, and their first obstacle was Jericho. God gave them peace. They conquered the land. And God rose up judges, men who God used to communicate his word to his people. And Samuel was the last judge. And the people looked around at the other entities, nations around them, and said, we don't want any more judges. We want a king. God said, okay, you can have a king. And God gave them three. Saul, David, and Solomon. And following the rule of Solomon, the kingdom split. Ten northern tribes called Israel, southern tribes called Judah. There were ups and downs of kings and rulers in each of those nations. And in 722 B.C., Assyria came in and took away the northern kingdom and that's the last we know about those 10 tribes. 587, 586 BC, Babylon came in, laid siege to Jerusalem, and conquered the southern kingdom. And so now Israel has been under the, denom- the domination again of foreign entities Assyria and Babylon. And you will remember that some of the choice young people are are carried away into Babylon. Daniel and his three friends. And God blessed. Because Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Not even with the king's meat, the goodies of Babylon. As you read Daniel chapter 2. You discover that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in those days, there was much put on the interpretation of dreams because they were thought to be messages from God. And so Nebuchadnezzar brings all of his wise men in, and he says, "Tell me the meaning of the dream." The wise men say, "Tell us the dream, and we'll tell you the meaning of it." Nebuchadnezzar says, "If you're a real wise men, you'd tell me the dream." Daniel is called in, and you'll recall it as a dream of a monstrous statue. And in the interpretation of that dream, we see God's revealed plan for the continued governance of Israel under a foreign power. The head was made of gold. Babylon. And for 47 years, Babylon ruled Israel. The chest was made of silver. Medo-Persia came in and for 200 plus years, Medo-Persia conquered the land. The legs were made of bronze. And Greece came in in 331 B.C. And for 300 plus years, dominated Israel. But God still knew his people. And we discover in our text that the people are now under the control of Rome. And Rome began its rules sometime around 30 B.C. And for the next 300 years, they were the authority in Israel. I want to read the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. And we're going to have one of our life groups help us with this reading. And so you follow along in, in your text. And understand that the first verses give to us the setting of these wearying days for God's people. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Did you pick it up? A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered under the domination of Rome. Now, we have the time frame that this was when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And did you pick up the text? All went to be registered. This was not a voluntary decision. All went to be registered. Rome controlled their political, their social, their economic, their religious lives. And everything that Rome touched came under its authority. And everything in the lives of God's people was touched by Rome. And so we pick up the text here that in those days a decree went out that registration was to be had and all had to fall under the authority of That decree. Now, let me see if I can give you a little better idea of what this meant in the lives of God's people. How much will you give me? RUN! shekel for the temple, two shekels for Caesar. By order of King Herod. You cannot pay your tax and you have no more land to offer. The harvest will be strong a few months from now. Yes, but we are not here for that harvest, are we? The agreement was for you to hand over one-third of your land to satisfy your debt. If I could have the land for one more year... What do you bring? What do you bring in the hope I will grant your request? Is that your album? That's all I have! Different than the, others. the girl! Take her! No, 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 no please! I'll been next time twice! She will work to pay your debt next. Ah! <laughs> <Alaya>. No! <laughs> That's my please, No! No! Right. Road, please. Next. Second road. No! Please please, please. No! 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 This man's animal and one third of his land to be seized for the continued good of Herod's kingdom Please, if I don't have enough land, what? but what you and your family will die? <laughs> All of us must die. Some sooner than others. Move. Kill it. We have enough. You and Half Shekel for the temple. day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, living under the rule of Rome. Living in a land that God had promised them. A land that indeed was a land flowing with milk and honey. A land that God had said would be their inheritance But yet at this time in history, living under the domination, authority, rule of Rome. And all went to be registered. King James taxed everyone to his own city. And the text says, and Joseph went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. I want to quickly remind you that Joseph and Mary, as they went to Bethlehem, Mary was with child. And although the text does not elaborate, there certainly was some ridicule that was taking place in the lives of this dear couple. I remind you that Matthew's gospel gives us a hint, because as the angel appeared to Joseph, Encouraging him not to fear to take Mary as his wife. The text says that Joseph, being a just man, was considering how to handle the situation. And he wanted to put Mary away privately. Without any humiliation. You see, the law of Moses was that one was to be stoned when they were caught in an adulterous relationship. And and certainly, there was no explanation about Mary's condition other than she was unfaithful. At this time in history, broken engagements, betrothals, were usually handled by divorce. And since Joseph and Mary were engaged to one another, Joseph would have been well within his rights to have Mary humiliated at a public trial. He could have made sure that she would never enjoy a respectable life again. Oh, it was a weary world for this young couple who had been told by God That the one that Mary carried would be the Savior of the world. Who would believe that? And as far as friends and family knew, Mary had just been unfaithful. They were required by road to make their way from. Nazareth, Galilee, to Judea, to the city of David. Now, I want you to notice the map here, will you please? They traveled from Nazareth down the valley of the Jordan River over to Jerusalem and then south, east to Bethlehem, which is about eight miles south of, of Jerusalem. A trip of somewhere around 90 to 100 miles. A trip that probably took them five to seven days to complete. Now, other than the distance and the travel time, you and I might not think much about it. But in Luke's Gospel chapter 10, Jesus gives us a hint about the conditions of travel during that time. He tells a parable And that parable is of the Good Samaritan. And we know the parable. Now, I remind you that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And what Jesus did is he took every day lifestyle events and gave to the people spiritual application. And so as I remind you of this parable, I, I want to remind you that these, this parable came from an everyday life experience. And I want to remind you of why the actions of the good Samaritan are so important. Because a man was traveling a road. He was traveling a very short road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, and the thieves stripped him, and the thieves beat him, and the thieves left him for dead. And that was the environment in which Joseph and Mary traveled. It was a dangerous time to be out on the highway Filled with all kinds of hazards. And not to mention that Mary was great with child. (laughs) These were her last days before she would deliver her firstborn son. We move very quickly in our text to the last phrase of verse 7 where it says, there was no room for them in the inn. I don't know if you've ever done any traveling where your motel reservations have gotten messed up. 1977, I remember it very clearly. Connie and I went from Quincy, Illinois to Orlando, Florida. We were driving a 1976 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am. It was white with white interior. It was a wonderful car. We drove straight through because we were young in ministry and had no money to stay overnight. But I had reservations at a... Very opulent place. I believe it was Red Roof Inn. After driving, all of those hours, we pulled into the parking lot and went, "Ah." we arrived. Oh, did I mention Connie was pregnant? Just a couple, three months, but she was pregnant. I went into the lobby and told them who I was, and they looked at me for a moment and said, we're sorry, sir, we overbooked, and we do not have a reservation for you. This was like 9 o'clock at night. I was in no mood to hear that message. The attendant at the desk continued and said, but sir, we have booked you just down the road a bit. And you do have a room. I was in no mood to go down the road a bit. I was weary. I was worn out. I was done with it. As was Connie. I can only imagine the weariness of Joseph and Mary as they have now traveled 90 to 100 miles, arriving in Bethlehem and discovering that there is no place for them to lay their heads. And she is great with child. And yet that is the environment in which God brought forth His Son. And God determined the place and the time that the Savior of the world would be born. The Scripture tells us in verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. That's an exciting time, isn't it? And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. When our firstborn was delivered, I was not allowed in the delivery room to witness that event. Jill was born September 22nd. In fact, it's the same day and same year that Pastor John was born. He could very well be my son. And the hospital was changing its policy October 1st. So Jill came eight days early. But I do know that many times the firstborn is the most difficult to be born. And I want to remind you that Mary brought forth her firstborn son. It was not an easy time. It was not a time when friends and family gathered around to rejoice in this wonderful event. It was not a time when a midwife was present, at least we're not told that in the text, to help Mary bring forth her firstborn son. It was not a time in which sanitary precautions had been taken because the text says, She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Now, when we do our Christmas pageants, many times we portray a manger, and it's usually a sanitized wooden container that may have some hay in it, but there's always a nice baby blanket, and it's always so, so wonderful. The manger in which Mary laid her firstborn was probably made out of stone. Wood was a valuable commodity in Israel. And they only used that material for very special projects. Stone that had been hollowed out, stone that had been used by animals, stone that contained all that animals left in their wake. You ever watch an animal eat or drink? It's not a pretty thing much of the time. She laid him in a manger. She also wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Twice in Luke's gospel, swaddling clothes are mentioned. Mentioned as Mary brought forth her firstborn, and mentioned to the shepherds on the hillside as an identification of the one they would find who was declared to be the Savior of the world. It's interesting that swaddling clothes do have some symbolism. Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 4 tells us that Israel, because of their unfaithfulness, was not wrapped in swaddling clothes and properly cared for. The prophet writes this And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you, nor were you rubbed with salt at all, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, that tells us a little bit. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 4. You see, when a child was born, the umbilical cord would be cut and the infant would be washed with water. The water was to cleanse the child from any residual fluid that could cause infection. The baby was then wrapped, um, rubbed with a small amount of of salt to, again, purify it and, and help in the sanitation process. And many times, oil was combined with the salt to help clean and disinfect. After being washed and salted, the infant was wrapped in long strips of cloth, swaddled. It replicated the feeling of the womb where the baby could feel secure and content. You know, as I I think about that, it reminds me of the sacrifice in temple worship. Water was used in the purification of the the priest. Salt was was used, added to the sacrifices. With with olive oil being used in a number of sacrificial offerings. The priests were were clothed in in linen and and cotton to symbolize their their purity. the details of God's work in sending His Savior to the world. You see, the truth is, although it was a weary world, God had a plan. And Paul writing in Galatians chapter 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. Even though Rome was used to make this declaration that all would go to be registered and taxed, that did not thwart God's plan. Even though Family and friends had no idea about the virgin birth of this baby. God had a plan. Even though Joseph and Mary, Mary being great with child, traveled 90 to 100 miles in a difficult environment, God Had a plan. And even though there was no room in the inn, she brought forth her firstborn son, laid him in a manger after he had been wrapped in swaddling clothes. God had a plan. Let me give you just three truths that I trust you can understand. As we think about God's plan for a weary world, first truth is this God has a plan. You are aware that COVID 19 did not take God by surprise. God has not wrung his hands and wondered when a vaccine, warp speed or not, would be available. You are aware that even though we are now worshiping in a different environment, socially distancing, wearing masks, and staying away from communal environments, God has a plan. And that plan was evidenced in the weary world to which Jesus Not only does God have a plan, but God will perfect His plan. (laughs) Rome was not going to thwart God's plan. A trip from Nazareth to Judea to Bethlehem was not going to stop God's plan. The fact that there was no room in the inn was not going to deny God's plan to bring forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. God will perfect His plan. And lastly, God's plan is for His glory and our good. I need to make an apology to you folks. Many times when I remind us of God's plan and God's perfection of his plan. I quote Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And I I have in the past said, it's for our good and God's glory. It's all about God's glory. Our good comes as a byproduct. And I apologize for putting our good before God's glory. That should not happen. It's all about God's glory. And God perfecting His glory in our lives. And that brings about His goodness to our lives. Amen? I don't know what decisions you have made concerning your Christmas plans? I know that many altered their Thanksgiving plans because of COVID-19. And that was a wearying decision, was it not? And Christmas too will bring forth some wearying decisions because we live in a weary world. But I encourage you this morning that in that weary world, God brought forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those, to buy those out from under the law, that you and I might be adopted, sons and daughters of God through the one who was, who is the savior of